One day, doubtless in the interest of social advancement, I was taken by my mother to see the Maxwells. It was on this occasion that I discovered that they did not have a toilet, but a lavatory. But I thought they had a toilet, I whined, confused. Nice people do not have toilets, they have lavatories, hissed my mother, who must have been doing some research on the niceties of euphemism and its inbuilt tendency to obsolescence insofar as its neutralising phrases so rapidly become contaminated by that very unmentionable reality to which they draw attention. I was deeply puzzled. How could the Maxwells do their poo-poos in a tree? Cultural customs were certainly astonishingly varied. During tea, conversation turned to theological topics, the absolutely essential importance of belief in a personal devil, the desirability of reservation of the Blessed Sacrament in the local parish church. There was a certain confusion in my mother's mind between the social and theological components of what she called high views, but she was quite clear as to what she deplored, the combination of being working class and Methodist that was to be found in my father's family plumbed the depths. I was preoccupied by the problem of how the Maxwells managed their poopers all through the weak tea drunk from a bone of China ground derby service, the stewed prunes and choice of either seed cake or Victoria sponge sandwich. He's a shy boy, said my mother. Come on, Henry, say something to Mrs. Maxwell. How do you do your poopers? I asked. There was pandemonium. My mother leapt to her feet coughing and spluttering, like the government denying any responsibility for a minor official who has made an unfortunate diplomatic gaffe in a foreign embassy. Mrs Maxwell, who must have been great-souled, or perhaps merely not wholly averse to displaying the gleaming porcelain evidence of social cachet, replied airily with an easy laugh, Oh, we have a lavatory, of course. Can I see it? I demanded. We all trooped into the all-in-one bathroom, bath and wash basin, in matching colours, lavatory bowl, by Pontifex Brothers. Oh, oh, how lovely, responded my mother with delight, her animation marking her so pretty that I nearly died with delight too. Forgetting for the moment that thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's lavatory bowl, her eyes growing slightly misty with a glimpse of future glories, but a wonder of wonders, the lavatory was indeed a tree, like our own world tree, it had a trunk, thin it was true, and fastened to the wall with staples like an espalier plum. Like our tree, it swelled out at the top and sang and gurgled as the branches of the world tree whispered their mysterious messages into the wind. Like our tree, too, it had a rope hanging down that you could grasp and doubtless swing upon. In this case, it was a chain, but the principle was the same. Like our tree, it was rooted in the earth, and its foundations ran down into unknown darknesses. But here was a fascinating difference. Instead of roots, it had a river that flowed round a U-bend on down into the dark kingdom of the Poo-Poos. Thank you very much, I said, entranced. 
I thought once that Peter and I must journey down the river in our paper boat. Fear and terror constricted my throat. I stared with my inward eye, fixated and horrified. We have many times braved the great waters and the wide oceans in our paper boat, but never had we ventured on an underground river, a Congo flowing backwards into a heart of darkness, a waterway that would gather speed and momentum that would move more and more and more quickly and faster and faster and faster. And so, we were sucked into a black cavern's mouth, a gaping swallow, but go we must. There was no gainsaying the call, and no hero worth his salt would for a moment refuse. All in a flash was clear to me. Hitler did not live in the privy, I've been wrong about that, as had been shown by my journey beyond its door, which had revealed not him, but Mrs. Robber. He was a far more dreadful figure than even I had imagined. He was the dark lord of the Poopoos himself, dwelling in his kingdom, deep under the earth, in his palace of excrement. Like the Latin word satra, excrement was both sacred and abominable. The source of Hitler's power was its fascinating magical virtue. To defeat Hitler, I myself must gain control of this invaluable resource. Oh, it's wonderful, your lavatory, I told Mrs. Maxwell. We were not able to embark on this great new adventure until my mother had said goodbye to the Maxwells. Thank you so much. Such a lovely China tea service. I'm so glad you approve of our regular confession. And we did enjoy the lavatory. And we had arrived home. Peter and I hastened upstairs to gather together the essential supplies that we would need for the expedition. Bent rusty safety pin, check. Yellow gobstopper, check. Disused black bobbin, check. Emergency butterscotch, check. At last all was assembled. 
especially for this expedition. The boat was renamed the Uncle Telford in honour of its constructor. We hurried back to the Maxwells. When we arrived at the lavatory bowl, the Uncle Telford was waiting, bobbing and tilting against her white porcelain key. The boat rocked as we climbed in, and running up the sails and unfurling the flag, we sent a last signal. We may be gone for some time. Save us some liquids all sorts from the next ration. And then we pushed off in a northeasterly direction. Steady there. Below that rope. Watch out for alligators. Steer green 185. At first, the flow of the current was fairly moderate, and we had time to admire the Maxwell's neat garden, the admirable qualities of which my mother had already pointed out to me with enthusiasm. Real class, the garden. Real class. Oh, yes. Very select. You can see right away that they are people of taste. By this time, the channel was beginning to narrow. Peter drew my attention to the approaching U bend. We could now see that the banks of the river were lined with teapots, brown wardrobes and huge white lavatory bowls. The boat began to gather momentum, faster and faster and faster and faster. At breakneck speed, we entered the black hole of the U bend and shot down into the darkness. Down, 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 on and on and on, down, 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 down. Where was Peter? Where was Peter? I was on my own. My blood turned to ice. My bones were distilled to jelly. I was rigid with the act of fear. The hairs were risen upright on my head, like frills upon the fretful porpentine. Where was I? I slowly began to make things out in the gloom. Great Scott! I was a prisoner in the Palace of Excrement. I was in a dark, narrow cell with a barred window, and somebody was coming into my cell. Somebody was coming into my cell. Hitler was coming into my prison cell. In a fearful intensification of horror, the venue of this terrifying scene was at the same time the murky bend in the stairs that I had to pass to go to bed each evening, where the black men of the night lurked. With a stab of hideous revelation, I realised, of course, Hitler was the Führer of the black men of the night. He had a bag. He was putting the bag over my head. I couldn't breathe. I screamed and screamed and screamed and awoke screaming in my mother's enfolding arms. Oh, the blessed arms of my dearest mother. It was not Hitler and his bag. It was my mother and her loving arms.
It was during this time, round about the early summer of 1941, I suppose, that Pam Hardy arrived. Pam Hardy. I was brought into the living room to be introduced to her. I instantly adored her, worshipped her, was transfixed, pierced to the heart, fell down on my knees, crying, A boon, a boon, send me on my task, my ordeal, I love you. Apart from my mother, she was the first of all my loves. This is Henry. Say hello to Pam, Henry, said my mother. Don't wanna, I muttered. He's very shy, said my mother. Now come on, Henry. Pam's a very nice girl, isn't Pam was an evacuee from London. Because she was lame and had calipers and wet the bed, the authorities in charge of placing evacuees had found it difficult to find anybody who would take her in. My mother did so at once without hesitation. As she already had a most copious bedwetter, perhaps she felt that one more set of yellowing sheets steaming before the fire wouldn't make much difference. Pam had mousy hair and wore glasses and a gym slip and black stockings, which frequently had holes in them. Through these holes, searingly beautiful patches of white flesh could be glimpsed, and in times of recollection, feverishly venerated. Once when she was bending over, I smelt her flesh through one of these holes in her stocking. It was right up there, with the newly baked bread and the frying bacon. The first day that she lived with us, we walked in the garden between the end of tea and the hour when I had to go to bed. She hobbled along, and I was, for once, totally tongue-tied. Finally, I decided to risk everything. I blurted out, Would you like to see my snail? That afternoon, I had captured a snail that I was now treasuring in a box. I placed him as an offering in the shrine at the foot of the world tree, providing him with grass and a piece of lettuce to guarantee his sustenance and further his happiness. Oh, I'd love to. Would you like to know his name? Very much. It's Samuel. What a lovely name. There he is. Pam bent down over the blindly waving head and tenderly delicate horns. She uttered a guttural, preferbal sound, and her voice sank soft and low. An excellent thing in woman. It was a bit like lake water, lapping with a low sound by the shore. It was my first experience of sex. It was as if a door had opened into an inner chamber, and I felt myself bathed in a tender blast of loving warmth and light. It was the earth goddess, adoring her creatures, Initiates into this great mystery, from that moment on, Pam and I became inseparable. Never did knight more dearly worship his lady, nor lover trip more gladly beside his lass. We carried her woman's attention to the world about between us, as if it were a chalice, a light from the primary reality. In its way, an action of nature as objectively given to her personality as it was to mine, a third force, a holy ghost. And even today, as I subject my past to the X-ray scrutiny of my present consciousness, there is a dark spot, a patch of mysterious opacity on the films that swim into miraculously emergent shapes in the dark room, a light source too bright for capture. We went everywhere together, wet the bed together, shared long silences, 
swapped treasures, loved every byway and nook of the garden, above all traced and tracked and cherished snails, worms, slugs, newts, frogs, toads, grasshoppers, beetles, and even once a grass snake. Every creature that crept and crawled was the beloved of Pan, and therefore precious to me also, an interest that I have never lost. We would devotedly follow snails as they proceeded along their silver trails, elegantly stretching up their necks and slowly wiggling their bottoms, like fashion models glistening with sex as they flaunted themselves on the catwalk in almost infinite slow motion. We would stare straight into the ancient unwinking eyes of frogs, immobile as brothers, jewels, satsuma wrestlers, hunkered down as still as stone as green and brown and unmoving as the earth itself, until they swallowed a fly and flew, they vanished. We gave Christian burial to a small, dehydrated, dead toad. We crouched spellbound with horror before the decomposing carcass of a hedgehog roaring with flies, like a munition factory making Lancaster bombers. Beetles were captured in matchboxes and endowed with warmly affectionate biographies. We solicitously removed the places of safety, slugs slowly crossing the lawn, lest their slimy lives be abruptly terminated by a Stuka dive-bombing thrush. The only time that we were separated was when Peter and I went on the expeditions to the other side of the world. With an unthinking sexism, typical of the era, he and I had agreed that these fearful perils were no place for a woman. But on our return, we would lay down at her feet the beauty of our travels, like Drake and Raleigh, paying homage to Queen Elizabeth. So it was that I first fell in love, cool and beautiful. She moved within the silences and joined the days. She walked between the light blue and the dark, the colours of the local girls' high school, along long forsaken roads where angels sing beyond the river and the tree.